Please do turn with me this morning to Matthew's Gospel, to chapter 6. Our text is the two verses that follow the Lord's teaching of the pattern prayer, the so-called Lord's Prayer. Matthew 6 and verses 14 and 15. I shall read them again. Our subject this morning is forgiven and forgiveness. The Lord Jesus says this, For if ye forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. For if ye forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. That word forgiven, is this not one of the most glorious words in the whole English language? Forgiven. What a blessing that God has provided for men and women and children. The antidote to the great problem of the human heart. All of us, I hardly need to say it, all of us have lives which are damaged by our own sin. Just forget the sins of others. Focus on your own life, my own life. What damage I've done to my life because of my sin. My words, my thoughts, my deeds, yes. Others hurt us, damage us, offend us. But surely the most damage to my own life has been self-inflicted. I've broken God's laws. I've damaged my own life. I've hurt myself. And I've hurt it because my relationship with God is broken before I come to Christ for forgiveness. So we're going to think this morning of the subject of forgiven and forgive this. This has relevance for family life. It has relevance for relationships within the church and within life. But we can only really understand the concept of forgiveness when we've understood God's forgiveness. This is the beginning. There is only forgiveness in life because God has forgiven his people. And so that's what we shall come to consider. This is a blighted world. I hardly need to mention it. The impact of sin, let's just think of what's going on in the world today. A war in Ukraine, a year and a half, over, no end in sight. A new war, a country that's known many, many wars, an area of the world where there has been a concentration of war and bloodshed and it started again, eight days now, since another war has been restarted. That's just a mention too. But we think out there, don't we? What about the wars in our families? 
the tensions, the relationships that don't exist anymore because we've been separated by sin. What about the marriages that are broken down? And what about your relationship and mine with our God, with our Creator? Well, forgiveness isn't easy, is it? Within each human heart, there is what we call a natural sense of justice. This is a hallmark that we're made in the image of God. Somebody hurts me, and I take offense. It's wrong. They shouldn't have said what they said. They shouldn't have done what they did to me. It's wrong. I can't forgive. That's what we think sometimes. This natural sense of justice that stops us from wanting to forgive, from thinking that we're able to forgive. Forgiveness is very, very hard. It's not the natural thing to do. But God is different. God is completely different. For God, he knows how to forgive. Not because he compromises his justice one little iota. No, he has found the answer for himself to be just and to forgive. We read in Psalm 130, this is a lovely verse, one to remember. Psalm 130 and verse 4. If thou, Lord, shouldst mark iniquities, who shall stand? If God was to mark my iniquities forever and to hold them against me, how could I stand before God on the day of judgment? But, but, one of those glorious interjections in the arguments that God gives us, but, if he would mark my iniquities, if he would hold them against me forever, I'd have no hope. But there is forgiveness with thee, that thou mayest be feared. Well, the text that we come to this morning is very challenging. We could misunderstand it. We shall explain what it means. It comes, and this is no coincidence, after the Lord's Prayer. This prayer, which isn't to be used in vain repetition, as the Pharisees did, and as the Lord Jesus mentions in verse 5, they repeated and they said their prayers and they made sure that people could hear them. No, we go into secret. Mostly, when we pray, the Lord Jesus in verse 7 says, don't keep repeating the same prayers. That's quite challenging. Some of us, we do use the same phrases. There's nothing wrong with that, but we should try not to. We shouldn't repeat and repeat, and there shouldn't be much speaking. Our prayers don't need to be long, he says. 
But then when you pray, verse 9, pray in this way. And we've thought of this prayer before. But when we come to verse 13, he says, Amen. And then he goes on to expand one concept in the Lord's Prayer. It's never really struck me this way before. He could have gone on to repeat about the holiness of God in verse 9. He doesn't do that. He could have mentioned about the kingdom, the kingdom of heaven which is to come, and the kingdom which is on earth in his church. He doesn't do that. But he mentioned something in verse 12. Why does he do that? And he expands. He enlarges upon the concept that's mentioned in verse 12. I think we can go back to verse 11. And he's speaking about our daily needs. We have a need for food for the believer. We have a need for spiritual food daily. It's not sufficient to go to church once a week and to have no contact with God, no contact with the Lord's people from one Lord's day to the next. No, we need our daily bread, our daily food. We should be often with the Lord's people. But verse 12, still in the concept, I think, of our needs, which are frequent, he says, and, notice it joins, Verse 11 and 12, give us this, our daily bread. These are frequent, daily, repeated needs. And forgive us our debts. So the Lord Jesus goes on in verse 15 to explain what he means by this daily need that we have. It's about the sin problem. You see, if you look through the Lord's Prayer up until that point, he's mentioned about God and his holiness, God's great plan of redemption, and now it gets personal. Give us this day our daily bread. He's beginning to point to us and to our needs and forgive us our debts. Just imagine a city. Sometimes this happens. The city of Paris. Imagine the rubbish was not dealt with for a whole year. Day after day, the trash builds up. They say at the moment in Paris they've got a problem with bedbugs. You have to clean the bed bugs out very often. But imagine a whole year, no dustbin lorries, the rats, the mice, the stench, the smell. Oh, it would be horrible. Sometimes this happens, doesn't it? The dustbin men and women, I think, they go on strike. Two weeks, three weeks. There's no rubbish collected. Or oh, wouldn't that be awful? 
people would say, it's wrong, it's wrong, we've got to deal with this problem. But what about your life? A whole year? And the rubbish hasn't been dealt with. The rubbish in your relationship with God. The rubbish in your family life. The rubbish in your relationships with one another. This is what Christ is dealing with. Verse 14, he goes back to the daily need to have our debts dealt with. So this morning, three headings. What is forgiveness? Going to try to define what it is and what it isn't. And then we shall consider the terms of forgiveness with God. That's the beginning. And then the terms of forgiveness amongst the relationships, the many relationships we have with one another. So first, what is forgiveness? Forgiveness is not tolerating sin. It's not putting up with it. It's not putting up with the rubbish. Secondly, forgiveness is not forgetting. There's a famous quote that says, if somebody goes and puts their footprints in the snow, it snows the next day, the footprints are still there. No, forgiveness is much more than tolerating or forgetting. The first thing we can say about forgiveness is what the Lord Jesus mentions in verse 12. He says, forgive us our debts. Forgiveness is firstly a cancelling of the debt that all of us have. A debt. What's a debt? Something we owe. A moral obligation that we have not kept. It's an offence that we've committed against God and it needs to be dealt with. Imagine you're renting a house. Many of you rent houses and flats in Bedford. The end of the month comes, you've got to pay your rent. If you don't pay the rent after maybe two, three, four months, you will be kicked out. You will be evicted. If you own your house and you have a mortgage, if you don't pay the mortgage, you will be evicted. That's the problem, isn't it? We've not paid the rent. We've not paid to God the rent that is due to him for our lives. You see, your body is not yours. Your body has been rented to you. You are to live in your body in the way that God says is right. You are to follow the rules of the lease and you are to pay the rent. Paul puts it like this, Romans 12 verse 1. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Have you paid the rent to God for your body? Or worse than that, have you desecrated your body? 
your life. It's unclean. The debt has built up. Well, praise God. There is forgiveness. How does this happen? Because Christ has died on the cross, he's come to cancel your debt. That's what forgiveness is, firstly. A cancellation of the huge debt that's built up through your whole life and my life. He's come to take that debt away. The only way it could be done was in Christ dying on the cross so that that debt could be cancelled, taken away, and dealt with. Secondly, forgiveness in the way it's used in the New Testament, it involves the removal, the cancelling, and then secondly, the removing. You see, we have another problem. It's not just the debt is built up, you see, God is holy. God is many things, but it struck me this week. There's only one of the attributes of God which the Bible repeats three times in a row. I don't think the Bible says anywhere, God is love, love, love. I don't think it says anywhere, he is faithful, faithful, faithful. It's true. He could have said that. But in Isaiah chapter 6 and verse 3 we read, One cried and another said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. The glory of God is seen and only understood in his holiness. It doesn't say that God's glory is understood in his love. It's true. But if you really want to understand God's glory, you understand it in the three times holy God. You see the wonder of Christ is that he takes the holiness of God and he removes your sin and he cancels your debt because he's borne the price. He's taken the sin. He's taken the punishment that you and I deserved. He's cancelled our debt, firstly. Secondly, because of my sin, there is a punishment hanging, pending, over my life. It hasn't been exacted yet. One day it would fall on me if Christ had not taken the punishment away from me, removed that hanging sword, the sword of Damocles, the judgment that rightly should be upon me. But Christ has died. And in his death, there is forgiveness for me. Because he's taken the punishment that I rightly, justly deserve. And unjustly, 
Christ has taken it instead of me. He's become my substitute. That's the greatest injustice of all, that my Saviour should take the punishment for my sin instead of me. Do you understand that? That's forgiveness. The cancelling of my moral debt and the removing of my righteous punishment. Because God is still holy. He punishes his own son instead of me. Well, thirdly, there's a third way which the New Testament explains how forgiveness works. There is a sense in which forgiveness means to cover, to cover a person's sin. My sin makes me very unattractive. If my sin builds up, there is a terrible stench and smell. Forgiveness means that God is so gracious, he's so merciful, that he puts a covering over my sin, over its stench, and his grace covers a multitude of sins. His grace and his mercy covers my sin. Look here in verse 14. Let me explain the difficulty that there could be within these two verses. 4, verse 15, if ye forgive not men their trespasses. The suggestion, if you misunderstand it, could be that God only forgives you if you forgive others. Now, that would be a mistake. You see, that would imply that me forgiving you is some form of work. And there is never any work that will earn me the forgiveness of God. That would be utterly wrong. It would be to turn the gospel upside down. No, it doesn't mean if I forgive you, then I will earn the forgiveness of God. No, me forgiving you is on account of Christ forgiving me. It's because Christ has forgiven me that I can forgive you and I will forgive you. My forgiveness of others is a fruit. It's an outworking. It's an outpouring. It's an evidence that I have been forgiven. Do you struggle to forgive? Some people say, I just can't forgive. That person has hurt me so badly, so affected my life, I cannot forgive them. A husband has left, done something awful. And the wife says, no, I can't forgive. I can't have them back. Well, we say scripturally, the one that has forgiven, been forgiven much, must forgive much. Just turn to Luke chapter 7. We have to turn to this example it beautifully illustrates the principle of forgiveness. Luke 7 and verse 37. 
And behold, a woman in the city, which was a sinner. The, the word there means a great sinner. We're all sinners. This woman, like us, was a great sinner, which, when she knew that Jesus sat to eat in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster box of ointment. This woman, we don't know exactly what she'd done, but we rather think that she'd used her life, her body, in a terrible way. She stood at his feet behind him weeping and began to wash his feet with tears and did wipe them with the hairs of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with ointment. Well, what are we to think of this? She takes perfume and ointment of great value and she comes and she washes and she anoints and she wipes and she cares for the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ. And there were some men stood there. They had a pharisaical spirit. They looked down on her. She'd had many husbands. They looked at this woman and they thought that she was below them. In so doing, they lifted up themselves. Do you know who these men were? The disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. The people that should have known better. They looked down on someone else. And they said, she shouldn't be forgiven. And so the Lord Jesus says, verse 47, Wherefore I say unto you, her sins which are many, yes, he doesn't hide from her sin, they are forgiven. For she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little. The Lord Jesus is saying that once we're forgiven, and especially if we're forgiven much, and surely all of us, all of us are forgiven much, we will have the desire and the willingness and the fruit and the evidence in our lives that we will be willing to forgive almost anything. I'll come back to the almost. So just to recap our first point, what is forgiveness? It's the cancelling of our moral debt. It's the removing of our rightful punishment. And it's the covering of our sin by God's grace and mercy. Well, secondly, how can we be forgiven by God? What a question. All of us are sinners. All of us have come short. All of us have a debt and we have a punishment that's waiting for us unless Christ takes it and we have forgiveness from him. How can I be forgiven? Well, there are terms. But there's only two terms. These are the two terms. 
The terms are that I must confess my sin. I mustn't make little of it. I mustn't excuse it. I mustn't minimize it. I mustn't blame it on my parents or my upbringing or my temperament. No, I need to confess my sin. I can't confess all of it because it's too many. But I come and I take the major elements of my sin, the major kinds, the major types, and I say, Lord, this is what I've done. This is what I've been. And I confess it with my lips in prayer. Maybe I need to break down in tears as that woman did. I need to come before the feet of Christ, telling him all that I've done. He knows it. And he knows what I'm leaving out. Tell him it all. Tell Christ all your sin. But that's not enough. Many people, they weep tears and they feel a bit better. Oh, that's better. Oh, I've got it off my chest, off my back. That thing I've done, I've told somebody. That's cathartic, but that's not the same as confession. Because, you see, I need to have one more thing. And you know the Lord helps us to do both these things. Confession, but then there needs to be repentance. You see, this woman was so sorry. And she wanted to express her confession by doing all that she could while she could. And she did it in a wonderful way, expressing her love for Christ by washing his feet and saying, now what I will do and what I will live will be no longer for myself. It will be for Christ. And so she repented of her sin, and she showed it. Have you done that? Have you repented? What does repentance mean? It means not going back, turning round 180 degrees, forsaking my sin. Do you know, in a sense, our repentance is never complete. And yet, the Lord looks upon us, and he doesn't require every single sin to be repented of. That would be crushing. But we've got to have a desire to leave our sin, and to have Christ deal with our sin. And then he will hear us, and he will forgive. What are the effects of this kind of confession and wholehearted repentance of sin. Well, we will have peace. We will have joy. We will have such a love in our hearts that we want to forgive others. And we won't take offense for too long. We will think of what we've been forgiven and we will have a willingness to forgive others. We know that we are debtors to mercy alone. So let's think of the forgiveness of others before we close. We've defined forgiveness. We've thought of God's forgiving us. 
when we're truly confessing our sin and repenting wholeheartedly of all the sins that we can remember and of all the major categories of sin that we've fallen into in our lives. What of forgiving others? This is so hard. The Lord Jesus commands it. Back in Matthew 6, 14, If ye forgive men their debts, their trespasses, towards you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. This text puts it as an obligation. This is not voluntary. If you've been carrying with you sin that's not been confessed to others and to God, not been repented of, then it needs to be dealt with. And the Lord God will give us the help and all that we need. You see, the gospel is a gospel of forgiveness and a gospel of repentance. And the Lord wants us to deal with the sin. We have many reasons to forgive others. And so, let's think of some of them. Some of the reasons why we must repent, and then we will know and experience forgiveness. A first one, God commands it. He says, and be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. Ephesians 4 32. The first reason we forgive is God has commanded it. It's very simple. There's no getting out of it. You are to forgive your husband, forgive your wife, once the terms have been met. There needs to be confession. There needs to be repentance. But God commands forgiveness. Secondly, what's the opposite of forgiveness? Bitterness. Hatred. And those are called in God's word wicked and abominable sins. If you don't forgive, you will become bitter. If you don't forgive, you will have a hatred because that's the opposite of forgiveness. Forgiveness says, though that person's sins are many, they will be forgiven. Do you know something else that can happen? A third reason, a fruit of unforgiveness is a desire for revenge. Bitterness, hatred, revenge. They talk today of what's known as honor killings. Honor killing? Taking somebody's life? Out of revenge, what does God say? Vengeance is mine. God is the only one who has the right and who will avenge the sins of people. Let me give you another example. We forgive very simply because Christ forgave. And if you want your life to be like him, if you want to have the blessings of Christ, then you too will forgive. What did the Lord Jesus say on the cross? Forgive them, because they know not what they do. As soon as you have a knowledge of your sin, 
you need to go and seek forgiveness. Well, we can say as well, we forgive because we know we will have blessing. If you forgive, you will have peace, joy, love. Unforgiveness, you will lose the presence of God. If there's somebody in your life who's hurt you, maybe you've gone to them and told you, told them your sin, their sin. If you're unwilling to leave that, once it's been confessed and repented of, you will be living with that bitterness and that hatred for the rest of your life, and God will withdraw blessing. And finally, a reason we must forgive. Forgiving others glorifies God. If we forgive others, we manifest the love that Christ showed. We only forgive because Christ forgave. And so if you forgive, you show and you display the glory of Christ. Let me close with this. How do we forgive? We forgive graciously. We bear no grudge. We bear no record because love bears no record. Firstly, graciously. Secondly, quickly. We don't think long about forgiving. As soon as we know it's genuine, it's heartfelt, we desire to forgive and we forgive quickly, graciously, quickly, and as it says in our te text, daily, repeatedly, as many times, how many times? Seventy times seven, a number so great you can't count. How many times have you forgiven or are you still carrying sin and hurt with you all of your life. Do you know, we must not set a standard of repentance that's so high that we can't attain unto it. If Christ had done that for us, who could be forgiven? And yet the Lord just wants to see sincerity, genuineness, forsaking our sin, turning round. Maybe sometimes we set too high a standard of others who have sinned against us. And so those relationships don't get reconciled. What should we do? Gracious forgiveness, quick forgiveness, repeated forgiveness. And then we're promised that bitterness turns to blessing. Well, may we know and may we practice what is true forgiveness. And then we will know rich blessings of God in our lives. And we will have relationships which are reconciled in God and with one another. Let's close this morning.